Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. I would like to dedicate this Porter Flute Pod podcast to the memory and spirit of Glennis Metz Stout. She died last year at age 99. My friend Glenna Stout helped me believe in my tenure at the University of Michigan School of Music, Theater, and Dance, and she was the biggest fan of all things flute. She helped us start the Southeast Michigan Flute Association after she had tried the Ann Arbor Flute Club years before. She gave us a Baroque flute. She attended studio class. She was 77 when we were friends, and we continued to keep in touch when she moved to Omaha. Glennis loved her family. She and her husband, French horn professor Louis Stout, loved the School of Music and were fixtures of our community. My heart is full from knowing Glennis and working with her to serve this beautiful flute community in Southeast Michigan. After high school, Glennis started at the University of Wichita in music education. She was an Eastman School of Music grad with a Bachelor of Music Performance in Flute. She performed with New Orleans Symphony, Kansas City Philharmonic, American Flute Orchestra, and Chicago Lyric Opera. Glennis was an emeritus member of MUFI Epsilon, a professional music fraternity, and was a member of the National Flute Association, where she held the position of editor of the Flutist Quarterly magazine. Glennis had an extensive collection of old flutes, ranging from Baroque to modern day, and she traveled the country giving demonstrations on these fine instruments. She traveled the world and performed with the International Flute Orchestra. She was principal flute of the Plymouth, Michigan Symphony until 1989 when she taught in Taiwan as a Fulbright Scholar. Glennis enjoyed performing her flute at her first United Methodist Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and in her church in Omaha, Nebraska, well into her 90s. The NFA compiled some quotes, so I'll quote a few colleagues. Leon Baisi said, A fellow Mariano student, she is the person who shared with me Kincaid's fingering for Poulenc's tricky 16th note, high octave, E-C-E-C-E. <laughs> and I've been forever grateful whenever performing or teaching that sonata. I appreciated Glennis's warmth greatly during my four years in Ann Arbor, and I was impressed by her collection of flutes. She was clearly an extraordinary citizen of our nation and a global flute community member. Penny Fisher writes, Glennis was the one who professionalized the Flutist Quarterly into a true intellectual and emotional nourishment for NFA members at the request of then NFA President Irv Monroe. She spent hundreds of hours on each edition and loved every minute. She and her husband, Louis, received the opportunity to teach for a year in Asia on a Fulbright grant in the early 1990s. I remember she invited one of her adult students, Jenny Needleman, and me to co-edit the Flutist Quarterly for the one year she'd be gone. It won't be hard, she told us. She left us with some ideas. It was a shock. Jenny and I somehow survived the many hours of writing, proofing, editing, and placing in the magazine. We were humbled and learned a lot that year. To Glennis, it had always been such a joy to do for NFA. And lastly, Joanna Bassett. As a middle and high school student of Glennis Stout's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, her home studio was a place of wonder. There were photos of places she had been around the world, flute players she had known, and her historical flute collection carefully arranged in a display case along one wall. Her teaching style was kind yet persistent, and her gentle strength and encouragement were so important during those formative years. Mrs. Stout touched many lives through her teaching in Ann Arbor and at the New England Music Camp in Sydney, Maine. She loved the NFA and all of her flute friends and continued attending conventions until 2017 with her son, Louis Jr., accompanying her. 
And finally, the NFA writes, Glenis left a wide-ranging imprint on the flute community, both professionally and personally. She will be missed and remembered in fondness and gratitude. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. You are in the 501c3 nonprofit sector of our Season 3 Business 101 category. I'm introducing you to the two nonprofits I founded within the community where I live and work. I'm the founder of the Atlanta Flute Club and the Southeast Michigan Flute Association. So we're speaking with three people who helped me along the way. Kathy Farmer from Atlanta and Debbie Ash and Holly Clemens from Southeast Michigan. Co-producing the podcast is Justine Sedke, and featured is co-producer Alan J. Tomasetti. Alan's a member of the Desert Echoes Flute Project in Mesa, Arizona. You see, a flute choir is one of the foundational pillars of every flute club. It's a group of all flute voices, from piccolo down to contrabass flute, that come together and serves musicians of all ages who need an outlet to perform. It's also a place for people who love hanging out with other flute players. So here are excerpts from a performance by the Desert Echoes Flute Project and the Community Flute Choir. It's Flourishes by my guest, Atlanta flutist Kathy Farmer. This is Christina Steffen, music director. It's from their 2018 performance. You can find it on YouTube. Welcome into Porter Flute Pod. We're so happy you're here. There is no I in team. There is no one person that can support a flute club. There is only community. And there is an I in community because I is surrounded by unity. I just made that up. But I think it's a big deal when you're talking about a nonprofit. I felt a huge need to give back to the National Flute Association, which had supported me. They gave me exposure from winning the Young Artist Competition in 1990. And until that point, um, I was just playing, right? And I got a call from Eric Hoover, the president of the NFA back in 1996, asking me if I'd meet him for dinner at the Hilton in downtown Atlanta. And I distinctly remember him asking if I could please help with the NFA convention. It was set to be coming to Atlanta in three years, and board members were there on site visiting, and they were putting a deposit down on the Hilton. I had studied with Eric Hoover at Brevard, and he trusted me, and I trusted him, so I gleefully said yes to becoming the program chair. I was so inspired to get my creative juices flowing after winning my prize in Kobe in 1993. So I was sitting in the ASO and I knew I had the time. So I immediately made a call to my great colleague, Christina Smith. I asked her for the phone number of one impressive amateur flutist, her student, Frankie Cavanaugh. Frankie was known to be organized, trustworthy, and he knew how to run around major CEOs because he was an executive assistant to about five of them, maybe more. He knows how to run a show. So I asked him to humbly accept a small fee, which I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting paid, but the assistants back then got paid and he agreed. We then approached the rest of my colleagues in the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra flute section, and they agreed to play along with the ruse that we had a flute club by the time we get to the convention. But we had to organize one. So in 1996, the year of the Summer Olympics were in Atlanta, I went downtown, I met with flute players, I created a flute club with a board, and then two festivals were under our belt before the NFA descended on Atlanta. You'll hear the story as I speak with Kathy Farmer from Atlanta and still to this day our fearless leader in the world of flute choirs and flute choir music. 
It was four o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember trying to get as many people as I could into this room so I could actually have a heart attack and say, there are 4,000 flu players descending upon Atlanta. And every time you have a flu convention, there's a flu club that welcomes the convention. And we have nothing And so I said, everybody, I love you and I would be president, but I can't because I have to run this convention. So I met this woman. Her name is Anna. And Anna (laughs) happened to be president of a different flute club. Anna was president of Raleigh. And knowing that, I just squeezed her hand hypothetically so hard to say, please give back to a community one more time. I really need you to do this. I would be there with you. I kept telling her, I would be there with you if I can't, if I could, but I need you to guide this ship right into the port of the Hilton in two years. Right. So, Because I went to Kinko's and ordered a, an enormous sign that said the Atlanta flute club welcomes the world. And I had no flute club. (laughs) Yes. So we didn't have a logo. We had only Anna. And then uh, all these people started coming out and saying, we will help you. So Kennesaw State, where I was teaching, opened their doors to us. That very first flute fair, which was so instrumental in getting the whole thing moving, was, was there at Kennesaw. We had a flute choir that I think we had a, a flute choir that, that was for sight, we sight read, which is what we, what flutes do in a group. And it worked out really well because everybody came and played. And then the, you had, there was a recital that you and who was the, oh, uh, Paul Britton, the, the four of you, each of you played a piece and then you played a, a quartet. And that, that was just, it was the most amazing day. <laughs> Nothing like roping your friends in to help you start a nonprofit. <laughs> we had had, we tried to have a flute club many times, repeatedly. Um, Warren Little actually got as far as starting one. There's a big difference between being an awesome performer and a person who can put something together. And my, when I heard you were going to be the chair, I didn't know you that well. And I wondered, is she going to be able to handle this? And in about 10 minutes, I discovered you have this wonderful mind that just, yes, boxes ticked. <laughs> and you went through and, and you made it. And when, when you hit something like the actual presidency that you were not able to do, that and your symphony job in NFA too, you found somebody. Yeah, you you were not a flute flute choir person. I was. You sent the box of flute choir tapes tapes to me, and that's all I needed. And you 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 parcel things out so well that it I, it was still an overwhelming job. But we were all willing to help. We just hadn't had had the leadership that you provided. Oh, made it made me feel really good to to say, oh. She can do that, too, because that was what I had not. I'm sure you found in your stuff with nonprofits very frequently. The best player is not the best person to lead. It's two separate sets of skills. And one of the mistakes a great many flute clubs make and flute choirs, too, but particularly flute clubs, is to get the all star player to be the president or the leader. And that's not the, the skills that they have. They have the, the stuff to make to be the all-star player. And I was just so excited. Like, oh, she's got this. No problem. And Frankie did such such, such wonderful interface between you and everybody else. So, he, so you didn't have everybody dropping everything into your lap all the time. He'd say, oh, you do that. <laughs> Well, not everyone can do it all if you're running a flute club. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing I set up my second flute club with, which I didn't set up the first flute club with, was seven years of presidents. I roped three people into the job Anna did. So, uh, (laughs) and, and had the foresight and the time to, 
to begin the high school young artist competition and take it from there. One thing I am, I was sad to see once leaving Atlanta was that I wasn't a part of seeing the incredible growth, especially in the student section. So just by population, by populace in the South, there's just everybody plays in band. Marching bands are huge. Everybody plays a piccolo and a flute. And even if they don't go into music, like it seems like the students are well-served in the Atlanta Flute Club. Do you agree with that? It, that's really my main impression. It's beautiful. We, we work very, very hard at that. The current board is the new young faces that are bringing in just amazing amounts of life. And they know how to do things that I don't, if you tell me how to, what to do, I'll do it. But I don't have the skill set to do it anymore because I'm not, I'm not a digital native. But we, yeah, we have things and our competitions, I think, have gotten better and better. And we have worked really, really hard at that. Um, and I, I'm I'm so proud of of these of the next generation for just picking it up and 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 running with it. It's exciting to hear that, and I'm sure your second, your, I'm sure the uh, the flute club that you started there is the same type of thing. That that there are people who know how to do all the digital stuff. I found myself at an NFA convention, and I don't know where it was, but. I went early in the morning to see and hear Grace Petrie, mm-hmm. who founded the Florida Flute Association. Oh my gosh, so many years ago. And the late Grace Petrie was so profound in all of her talks at the NFA. For me, she was direct, forthright, funny, honest, uh, you know. No bull. And I took so many notes because <laughs> I had to start a flute club in Atlanta <laughs> right. and I wasn't really talking about it. I was just being a good student. So what like do you, did you know her and, and were you ever inspired by her? I knew her um, through the Jeffrey Gilbert master classes because we were both students there. And so as, as with so many people, I knew her first as a fine flutist. And then, then I would, she had a little group and I would sit to the outside and I would hear her talking about all these things going on and how, how you set this up. And, and I'm like, how do you know all this stuff? And I still don't know how she knew it all. But she established probably one of the healthiest flute clubs in this country. And in, as well as passing on to you and to me how it's going to work someplace else. Exactly. Exactly. And the program chairs had a good idea to program her to give a talk about how to start your nonprofit flute club. And it was all with handouts, all with paper. I was going to say, I still have pages of notes from years ago. I just moved recently, so some of them aren't there anymore, but a lot of them are scanned. But of of all the things that that we were told and, and it's like, and then they published that little book. The NFA published the book. I think Florida did it first and then, then NFA took it over on how to start a flute club. How to start a flute club. Yes. That's the pink book. to start a flute choir how did you start a flute choir the atlanta flute ensemble so when did you when did you create that i went to jeffrey gilbert master classes it was a life-changing experience musically but one of the things they they had in the afternoon was flute choirs and i went and it was like this is like chamber music on steroids and everybody has the same pitch tendencies i have and i want to be part of this and I got really excited and I went home and taught for, for a year. I thought about it and I thought, I just don't have the business skills. I have the music skills. 
I had the resources to the, the friends to help me find music, but I don't have the organizational skills. And a friend came over, we were a, a, flu, a flutist I didn't know, but became a dear friend. And she said, you know, I've got, I've got organizational skills. So we started it, the Atlanta Flute Ensemble as a summer group. And at the end of the summer, nobody wanted to stop. So we continued. Parallel to that, Harold Sharp started the Marietta Flute Choir. And he, he continued as long, as long as he could, and then he, he became ill. And after he passed away, then I was asked to take that job. And some, the, the, the lady that asked me was so, her name is Marjorie Macy and Lynn, and Lynn Priegel. And they were both, they were like, would you consider doing this? And I was like, I've been praying for you to ask me for six months. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I remember that now. Yes. Like it was yesterday. Yeah. Well, I remember, I remember, I remember that when Harold passed away, you played on his memorial service and the flute choir played very, very badly because we were all crying so hard. <laughs> and I never knew how you managed to play syrinx up in the back and not just bawl all the way through. <laughs> I did. I can cry and play at the same time. I miss Harold so much. I'm, I met him in Salzburg, Austria. He's the only other American. I mean, and and I'm this, you know, white girl hanging out with this very tall black boy because we don't speak German. <laughs> moved to Atlanta. He's the first person to call me. And um, we are we were best friends until the day he died. Flute choir has become just a, such a beautiful thing for people. And then there's the concerts. Yeah. Right. So yeah. our producer, Alan J. Tomasetti, is a flute choir person. Yay. <laughs> Part of the Desert Echoes Flute Choir out here in Arizona. Oh, oh, I love that choir. They're, you guys are wonderful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Christina Stefan is the director. I know well. Yes, I, I, and I've heard you guys. As often as you play at convention, I'm there to hear you. I was actually playing solo at the last convention. So really? We went, uh, back at, at Salt Lake. I was, I was soloing uh, at Salt Lake. I don't remember your face. If you played, I might remember your sound. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was I was there for that that concert. It was fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, Val uh, Valerie Coleman's "Going Uptown." Mm -hmm. Such a cool piece. That's what. That's the beauty of flute choirs. Is there people like Alan who want to play, but they have their day job, and flute choirs. That's. That's a wonderful thing. The, the Marietta Flute Choir had you as, the, you as their, their musical backer. And so you, you played, played many solos on the, on, their, on the concerts. Oh, yeah. And when you moved away, it's like, well, now what are we going to do? Hang on. Was it Mozart on Dante? Yes. Or Flute and Flute Choir? Yes. The Mozart on Dante, and you played oh, Della Song's Meditation, which is a it's a weird kind of contemporary piece, contemporary in nineteen somethings. Uh, but you and it was like this was written for flute and flute choir, not flute and orchestra, not anything else. So she she had this and she had this the orchestration skills to make it really sound good. But it, yeah, you you were our main soloist for, for for as long as you as long as you were available. NFA really didn't want to do flute choirs. They 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 kind of put their hands away. They didn't want to be part of it or something. And I realized when I went to convention that when they had flute choirs, they weren't very good. Particularly, they played, intended to play out of tune a lot. And that was a problem. And so when the, when the program, I became flute choir coordinator and the program chair, I went to him and I said, you want people at your convention, have flute choirs, 
but have them vetted in some way so that so that you have the good ones and so and then have some developmental things so we had workshops for how to conduct your flute choir or how to help your flute choir play better in tune all of which worked really really well and now it's a given that we have flute choirs at the convention and this year they're actually having a flute choir festival where I think their flute choir is every minute of the night and day. That's awesome. I'm just so happy I'm not in charge of it. <laughs> AJ and I were just saying, if if the flute choirs left, you, know, you could have a National Flute Choir Association. There'd be a heck of a lot of flute players in that. Yeah, there would be. There really would be. And we're... we're we're the people that go to convention. Very few of us are professional. We go, we enjoy, we buy stuff. We use those hotel rooms they need, need to have filled. And it's, it's good. It, it helps the NFA and it helps us because we get to see and hear other players, other ideas. It's just good on every level. Makes me, it makes me really happy to be part of the flute choir community. Do you remember the flute convention in 1999 in Atlanta when you and I decided that the flute choir would actually have a home that wasn't so far away that you wouldn't need to walk five miles in another direction in the hotel to get to the flute choir rooms? I had you tucked in this hallway that had about four ballrooms. And I remember you running up to me saying, this is it. This is perfect. Thank you so much. We're all in one section. We have our own village. Can you talk about that? Because it was you, you as the flute choir came into conventions, you were all disparate. They were all in different places, right? It, it hadn't developed to the, the movement hadn't developed to the point where it was willing, where it was going to need a home. So they were just tucking them in corners. And you gave us a spot, and if I'm not mistaken, you also gave us a room to rehearse in. Yes. Because there was a professional flute choir and a high school flute choir, and I think those might have been the only two at that point. And every choir, that you made it possible for every choir to actually rehearse a couple of minutes before we're going on, rather than going on fresh from two weeks ago. <laughs> and it, it made us have a home, and you knew where to go to the flute choir room. Oh, are you conducting flute choirs still? Yes, I'm still conducting both the Marietta Flute Choir and the Atlanta Flute Ensemble. What used to be the Marietta Flute Choir is now the Flute Choir of Atlanta. And it brought it, and we picked up three fabulous new players this semester. And like, how? <laughs> I don't know how you found us, but I'm glad you did. You see, it's just such a great community builder. Amazing. Well, and everybody knows, the flute players in town know each other. Well, now and they I, do. Yeah. I love it that people call it, that, pe that people, some people say, can you play this, that, and the other? No, but what part of town are you in? And, make, and I can make a suggestion. And it worked it, because it, it really is, that's how we do it. You know, we, we share it, we share the, the wealth. There's plenty to go around. Yes, there is. No need for competition at all. Yeah. And that, that is one of the, the, the battles that I fought with NFA. They want, uh, every, every other year, somebody would come and say, we, we should have a flute choir competition. And every year I said, no, because if you have winners, you have losers. Yes. And it is not encouraging to, to be told, you're just not good enough. It, the function of, of NFA is to make, make, and of course up in the fantastic levels of like your, the young people's competitions, there are no losers in that. There are just some people that are better. But you get this sweet little, little housewife that's been teaching and playing flute for 40 years and you put her in a flute choir and then you say your flute choir is not good enough. You've done her a great disservice. Agreed. So, so far, we still have no flute choir competitions. 
just just the like the professional flute choir you compete to get into the choir but it doesn't compete with any other choir and in the spirit of being a nonprofit community is served without judgment a competition for flute choir seems to go against community to me i, I agree I'm going to say, along with my flute choir, Desert Records Flute Project, we're always looking for new works to push. And as much as we can do arrangements, it's the flute choir pieces written for flutists and written very well. We love playing your Flourishes uh, piece, and it's such a wonderful addition to the repertoire out there that few and far between other pieces can even come close. Okay. And, we, and we thank you for your contribution as a composer, conductor, and so forth to be such an inspiration for that. Thank you. I've had trouble getting my stuff published because I write from my flute choir. One of, one of the publishers said, who in the world would play that piccolo part? And I'm thinking, my piccolo player in my choir she can handle that with the total, it not, not flourishes. but if, So I write hard stuff for the people that, that can do hard stuff, and I try to write something pretty for the people who can't play the hard stuff. It's just been a pleasure to talk to you, Kathy. Your, your friendship means so much to me. Well, I, I feel, feel like I have, have been blessed to, to, to know a star, and that's you. <laughs> and uh, you're my star, too. <laughs> No, I'm a worker bee. <laughs> no star. <laughs> Thanks for being on Porter Flute Pod, Kathy. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. So I want to warmly welcome Debbie Ash and Holly Clemens to Porter Flute Pod. Yay. Yay! And we'll say we'll say go blue. Yes, go blue. Go blue. Alumni, <laughs> that's right. Good um, alumni from the University of Michigan before my time, and staunch members of the flute community in Southeast Michigan. And we started the podcast with a wonderful tribute to Glennis Stout, who, when I met Glennis. Oh, was such such an inspiration to me in in terms of community. She had this um, collection of flutes that she promptly gave to the University of Michigan and made sure that Baroque flute would be in the language of the students, and it still to this day is. Um, and she had a flute club before our Senfa. So, can you talk about the original push to have a flute club? What was it yes, called? That, that would be the Flute Guild of Ann Arbor. And we actually had quite a far-reaching um, uh, audience. We had a newsletter that I, I was editor of, and, um, and we, we did a lot of things. It was all, you know, no computer by hand, cut and paste, and go to the copy place. But we also had a lot of events at the Stearns Building at, at, on the university campus, and it was the same people doing the same thing. And we, we rotated with different people as president. I think Glennis was president. And then I think Emily Mazer was one of our um, members. And um, Heidi Kennel was a member, but she died of cancer way too soon. And then we had, uh, I was president. And the group kind of went down under when I was pregnant with my first child and yeah. So <laughs> because it was the same people doing the same thing. So the formula that you came up with for SEMPA was most helpful. And, and that has helped us to survive. Of course you need to turn to your family and say, I have to devote myself to my family, not the newsletter and not the guest artists for next year. And and uh, it can implode. Um, I don't know. What year was that, Debbie? The Flute Guild was probably 1977 through 1983. Okay. That, okay. So, so, you know, we, we had a little run there. 
Yeah. Maybe, maybe 1975, um, but in, in the 70s. So it was, it was a different time. We didn't have all the email. We we had phones. We had maybe answering machines. We didn't have cell phones. So it was, and, and to get communications, you had to use snail mail. So everything was a lot more difficult than it is now. Things are much faster. I was going to comment on the 1983 because I was in grad school at U of M at that time. And I don't remember hearing anything about the flute guild. And I did, I did actually go over to Glennis's. That was my first time to be introduced to her whole collection. So I don't recall that, but certainly I moved to the area in 1994, very end of 1994. So then we started talking, what, perhaps in 2001? Well, in 1999, I came. Okay. And I was just fresh off of the flute convention in Atlanta and forming the Atlanta Flute Club. So I came here and I'm sitting at my desk in the year 2000. The phone rings. I actually answer it. This woman says, hello, you don't need to know my name. But I'm, I'm an amateur flutist and I need a place to play. We need a flute club and you're the one to start it. And I listened to all these reasons. She she needed a, a, a place for a flute choir. She didn't know where to who to study with. She wanted other people to you know bond with in a community. There was no website. There was nothing. You need to do it, Amy Porter. And my answer was, okay, but may I have a year just let me, I knew I couldn't do it tomorrow. I needed a year. I just got here, you know, and, and I had students and I had things. I was shifting. I still had a house in Atlanta. I had, I had so much in Atlanta. So I was commuting. And so this angel uh, probably waited for a year and I called Penny and I called Glennis and I said, I think we need to do this flu club because an angel told me I was supposed to do it. So what do you think? And so we said to each other, you, uh, uh, Holly, Holly, you and I and Penny agreed that we would be presidents for seven years. We did not set ourselves up for failure. We set ourselves up for success and we did not put it on one person. We put it on community. So I think we had just a great line going in. You had already been a president of a flu club in Minneapolis, you had said. I had been involved with both the one in Minneapolis as well as the one in uh, Washington, D.C. So we- that kind of experience is necessary to start a flu club. And and Penny, you know, I think she knew of my experience because she um, was chair of NFA in 1990. Shortly after that, we moved to D.C., and Penny grabbed me to be into the D.C. group, and then she kind of got had gotten out of D.C. and moved to here. So <laughs> she, she knew I was able to do some of this work. <laughs> well, we had the fax machines, and we had email at this point, but I still remember, ladies, I still remember sitting on my couch and hand-addressing 183 newsletters. And those 183 people were not members. They were just everybody throughout the entire state of Michigan, over Lansing, down through Ohio. Remember, we were trying to just bring everybody in. I think we were just in a recruitment phase. Seven years of presidents set us up. We reached out to the students and we started a high school flute uh, competition, which I remember so vividly was one of my proudest moments. Proudest moment was at at EMU for our very first, I think it was at Eastern, right? And uh, next year I called up Penny, who was president. I said, Penny, let's do a college. And she said, nope, we're going to (laughs) wait. She was exactly right. And the next year, can we have it now? Nope, we're going to wait. And in fact, she said, I don't think it's going to be every year. And I, wanting to pretty much overdo everything or just get in there and do get, do stuff for community. She really made me realize that oversaturation isn't going to work with the flute club. 
And so that every other year um, rotation works really well for both the collegiate and the high school. What do you think? Those early years were, were exciting, but we had to kind of go slowly, right? It's just beautiful, beautiful. And let's talk about the flute choir. Debbie, no. it's incredible. No. We have a flute choir too. Do we, how many flute choirs do we have? Just, just the one. We did have a, a student one for a little bit. Um, but that's a little more complicated. I think uh, Penny actually started the flute choir yes. the second year. Yeah, I played bass flute um, back then. Having a bass flute was a novelty. Not many uh, groups had it. And so I played bass flute all those years up and up until I broke my wrist um, in 2016. Wanted to mention there was also a Detroit Flute Guild, which is probably one of the reasons why this um, Ann Arbor Flute Guild didn't work because we were competing with the Detroit Flute Guild. And so they kind of went defunct as well, maybe the same thing, but it is now still in existence as a flute ensemble, the DFG. It, it's been a challenge uh, during COVID, but we did a virtual recording and We've managed to do a few little things. Not not everybody wants to do it, rightly so, un, until times are better, but who knows? Um, yeah, we've adapted and we are still going on. And, and I think having the flute festival, we now have what? The flute choir festival in, in the spring, as well as the fall flute festival. So that, I mean, people, more people have alto flutes and bass flutes and even contra flutes now. So it's a very exciting time. Can we, if you don't mind, talk about that moment in 1999 at Penny Fisher's house in the living room? I remember it well. <laughs> it was the first time that Shaul and Irv had been in the same room in many, many years. And I was absolutely oblivious to why there was any kind of competition going on in any sense for me. <laughs> Everybody just had to get along. And, uh, you know, I felt like I could bring some new blood and new perspective, maybe even some new energy. So I became dear friends with both gentlemen. What was that kind of relief of tension like when Sempha began? And and do you, do you think Sempha kind of helped in some ways? I know that the tension, whatever it was, had dissipated by the time I had gotten there. Flute World was staunchly entrenched in its life in Flute World, and Irv is staunchly entrenched in his Muramatsu life. So when I got there, I was so happy to see these two gentlemen uh, in a room together. Did it make everything a little better to have the Flute Club, do you think? I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, they both participated participated throughout the years in their own ways and they they just kind of diverged and went went their own different ways and and I think maybe it was okay Sempha became an okay platform for them to to be uh, in existence together and not in competition with each other yeah I agree with Debbie that it was a wonderful platform, um, even if it was just once a year at the festivals to come together and, you know, you would see them talking to each other a little bit. And that was good to see. I, I mean, a lot of that uh, happened before I came to the area. A lot of the issues, I believe, you know, when, when they broke up the original Flute World. Debbie, perhaps you know. Well, it's called Flutes of Flutes USA or Flutes of America. It wasn't Flute World. It was something totally different. And yes, they were owner, co-owners together. And then, you know, 
Suddenly then there was Flute World. So they diverged and Shaul actually became more of a, he started doing a lot of arrangements for flute choir. I mean, and he started the Michigan Flute Orchestra 30 years ago. So they went in different directions. And I think because they went in different directions, still flute, but they they weren't competing with each other. So they could have a, a an okay relationship. So, and, and that was okay. Not everybody has to be on the same flute track. And, and it also changes as we age. When I went to Japan and met Robert Johnson in my 20s, and he was interning at Muramatsu for one of his three times, when I came to Detroit, I said, hey, flute club is starting. You know, it's so not only did I have a flute world and Muramatsu in the same room, but we had flute specialists and everybody just smiled and said, wow, we didn't think this would ever happen. And I'm clueless saying, hi, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So anyway, the, the Semfa, the gathering of Semfa of people who hadn't spoken or people who didn't believe that Ann Arbor and Detroit and, and, and surrounding areas could come together. Um, you're right, Debbie, email and getting older has brought all of us together so closely. I really am enjoying what Semfa is doing right now. Are you really liking the cadenza festivals? Like these, these wonderful little shows they put on. I love it. And Debbie, you put together the flute choir for that. And I watched it all just, I always, I, I cry a little bit because it's like, my baby's grown up, <laughs> but I well, love this cadenza thing. It's great. And and it's better than doing nothing, you know, right? because there are, there are a lot of people because of the COVID have just done nothing. And when it came time to make a recording for the second one, it's like, we didn't do the um, piece together one. We just did it outside in a, on a driveway and, and we didn't have a whole lot of practice time and, and we had the birds making noise and we did it and and that it was like this is it that I mean, was it's great not the, it's not the full group it's a small group but you know you, you gotta just go with what you got that's what we're doing and I think um that Semfa our fall festival was such a success mm-hmm. even though it was split by being hybrid I guess you had um I don't know what the attendance was in person I don't know maybe 30, 40, 30 to 40, I think 30 to 40. But after having nothing for a year and a half, that was substantial. Plus we were able to have the online things and and include Joanna Cowan White and um, Holly's uh, event was broadcast online. I mean, it was, it was a win-win and maybe it's the thing of the future that we aren't going to be all in person because, you know, let's face it, the Southeast Michigan area is quite large and diverse. And so I that, that might be one of the hidden blessings or silver linings of COVID. We've all discovered the technology. It, it's been a learning cycle, but it's a good thing. It's been a good outlet to have that cadenza. It has. Holly, do you remember the process of getting 501c3 status? I had to go to the new center here in Ann Arbor, the nonprofit enterprises at work. And I was guided there by Martha Darling, a lovely woman uh, friend. And she said, you should go over there. I'm on the board and they'll help you start a nonprofit. And so I went to a talk by a, a community gardener right back when community gardens were starting. And so I did everything that the community gardener did for the flute club. And we got 24 people at our first event. And I find that pretty good at Little Stern's building, right? We had a master class and we had a concert with Gary Shocker. And so the articles of corporation took me three months to get approved, which is super fast. But here's what happened. We formed and didn't have nonprofit for at least two years. And then you turn around, you can get nonprofit because if you can't show that you have programs and you had a festival and like, you got to show stuff. So go ahead and start your flute club, but don't apply for nonprofit right away. You have to get your traction, which means action. (laughs) Right. 
You remember all that, Holly? Yes, I do. And I remember uh, Lauren Erickson and I had several meetings as well, just going over some of the paperwork and talking about how things were going to be put together for that. I hadn't thought about that for a while, but. (laughs) Yes, I'll never forget Emily Perryman Olson being so helpful and going to those those deep drawers at the news center with me where they'd pull out papers. Here you go. It was no, it was not online. <laughs> so it was all in a drawer. So uh, those were the good days. And you ladies have helped me so much with SEMFA. I'm no longer on the board. I'm so surprised when this community just comes out with yet a new concert or a new activity for the community. Well, having played in a lot of flute choirs uh, all over the country, the Southeast Michigan flute area is, doesn't have a whole lot of people playing alto and bass. We won't even mention contrabass. I mean, there's... All right. We'll serve as a commercial then. We're recruiting for the Southeast yes. Michigan flute choir. All you alto lovers and bass lovers out yes. there, we've probably got some spares for you to use and come on. Just come on. As long as you can play a couple scales and a piece of your choice. <laughs> That's right. Um, since I've been on board, I don't think we've had an uh, audition. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No audition necessary. Right. Well, it's, it's like uh, we want to appeal to all flute players. Obviously, somebody's not going to play in the group if they can't play those two scales. So that is a requisite. But yeah. Well, yeah. we're here to inspire flutists. In Southeast Michigan, that's our mission. And you ladies have helped me do that. So thank you, Holly. And thank you, Debbie, for being in Porter Flute Pod today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Our pleasure. Thanks for taking this trip with me down memory lane. I'm sure if you're thinking of starting a nonprofit, then you're in a great space. You could do it all online with the help from lots of people in the past who've done exactly the same thing. With the help of people along the way, I was able to bring our community of flute players together with a mission of service through giving. And I'll read one of my favorite quotes from my daily studies. To have, give all to all. You can find the Atlanta Flute Club at atlantafluteclub.org and the Southeast Michigan Flute Association at semfa.org. You can find Flourishes by Kathy Farmer for Flute Choir online, published by Alry Publications. Check in with us next episode when the Go Blue Flutes category features a look into college audition prep. With auditions coming in February for my studio... I'll have some pre-screening videos to watch, and I have some opinions on how you can submit your best work. We'll also have some Blue Flute alumni updates. You can find more about me at amyporter.com or for students, porterflute.com. I'm Porter Flute on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for being in Porter Flute Pod. I'm so grateful for you.